Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. Today we're reading short and deep ballads for men. <laughs> Actually, oh my darling Clementine. This is an anonymous uh, poem, or at least a traditional poem slash song, really, um, that was published in a uh, a men's magazine, Cavalier. I think it was a 1953 issue. I actually don't have that handy. Um, did I include that in the PDF? Yeah, it's March 53. March 1953. Um, issue of Cavalier. Cavalier was a... Uh, it was kind of halfway between, uh, it's pretty close to just a regular men's magazine. There was a genre called the sweats, S W E A T S the sweats. Um, and it was sort of halfway between that and men's magazine and, um, playboy, except it's probably closer a lot to the sweats, just that it had a lot more fiction and sort of articles about fly fishing and that sort of thing. Um, and I, when I was slipping through an issue, I saw this beautiful illustration of a very familiar um, poem. And putting it in a context different than that I'm used to it, which was as a song that you sort of sing when you're a little kid <laughs> and don't even know what the words mean. Um, seeing it with this illustration, I was oh, this is very interesting. And I, I think I sent it to you shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, I never occurred to me even to ask the question, who wrote it? Um, and then, of course, we don't have an answer for that. There are there are precedents for it. There are antecedents. I'm assuming um, they've they they're taking this from a collection of quote unquote American ballads that was published in 1952. Um, it's not a full length ballad, but I, I like their subtitle, Ballads for Men. <laughs> it's about a woman, and it's about, I guess, a man's reaction to her death. But I, I just, when I was young, it never occurred to me even to question what the words meant. Like, they're just sounds. It's just something to say, right? But seeing it in this context, it, it was very, very different for me. I, I must, um, must reinforce your observation um i first learned this song when my parents would occasionally sing it if we were taking a drive somewhere mm. and uh that's a perfect it, example of, of what how you would learn it right yep and i you know i'd be sitting in the back seat and it has a a, a jolly lilting melody and you know i mean i must have been I mean, I can remember it back you know, as when I'm four or five years old and my parents sing it. I had I mean, I knew I knew the words, but I didn't think about them at all because the song was so jolly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd love you to sing it. But if, <laughs> if you won't, I'll just try the beginning just to give a sense of the jolliness of it. Well, it definitely should be read if not. Uh, I mean, oh, no, no, I, I won't read. I wouldn't sing the whole song. Well, OK, I'll, you, you've stopped me. That's good. OK, it's probably wiser. We've got we've got a chorus that is repeated. Right. And that's the standard way of doing it. Um, is that that I guess that's how you get it get it into kids' heads, right? Is is you do the 
the the hard stuff, and then they come in with the the chorus. And then, oh no, my parents didn't want me to come in at all. They said I couldn't sing. <laughs> but I got to hear the chorus many more times than the verses because it came after each verse. Yes, it's it's heavily repeated, and and seeing it in this context made me think about the poem a lot differently. Um, so you don't want me you don't want, you don't want me to sing it. I'm pretty sure because I'm not a great singer. Um, I could uh, I could read it. Or let, me, let me attempt. Okay, go for it. Yeah, you know, just just the the first eight lines. It's a, the first verse on the chorus, because I think the contrast between the the musical part of it and the words becomes clear once you start thinking about the words. In a cavern, in a canyon, excavating for a mine, dwelt a miner, forty niner, and his daughter, Clementine. Chorus. Oh, my darling, oh, my darling, oh, my darling Clementine, you are lost and gone forever, dreadful sorry, Clementine. Well, pretty happy-sounding song, mm-hmm. even though it's you're lost and gone forever. So, please, if you think it's appropriate, read on, Macduff. Okay. Light she was, and like a fairy, and her shoes were number nine. Herring boxes without tops, his sandals were for Clementine. And then chorus. Drove she ducklings to the water every morning just to dine. Hit her foot against a splinter, fell into the foaming brine. And chorus. Ruby lips above the water, blowing bubbles soft and fine. Alas for me, I was no swimmer. So I lost my Clementine. I don't know how the meter on that works. Um, Alas for me, I was no swimmer, so I lost my Clementine. You got it. In a churchyard near the canyon where the myrtle doth entwine, there grow roses and other posies fertilized by Clementine. Chorus. Then the miner, forty-niner, soon began to peek and pine. Thought he otter jine her. <laughs> thought no. he otter jine her, his daughter. Thought he otter jine his daughter. There we go. Now, now he's, he's with his, his Clementine. Clementine. There you go. Chorus. In my dreams she still doth haunt me, robed in garments soaked in brine. Though in life I used to hug her, now she's dead, I'll draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> chorus right <laughs> so there is a very stark contrast between or bright contrast perhaps between the s- sort of deep sadness of this uh poem that is almost it's almost uh edgar Allan poe level of loss right um, yes and and the sort of jaunty uh cutesy way of singing it and i think i think a lot of that has to do with the the way the grammar and the spelling and the pronunciation and just the like if it's right in the chorus right oh my darling oh my darling oh my darling clementine so is repeated three times you are lost and gone forever dreadful sorry clementine who's dreadful sorry is she the dreadful sorry one, or is he the dread right? So there's a little bit of slippage in, in meaning, and that happens a number of times. 
herring boxes without tops is (laughs) 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 plural of tops is tops (laughs) right right so tops is there's a a forced rhyming that uh, just makes it more amusing than and yet I think there is a story here right Um, how many characters have we got I, I was arguing for either two or three I'm for three. Yeah, I think three makes more sense. I don't think it's actually a story about Clementine. I think Clementine is the object. Yes. And the two men contending for her are the supposed father of Clementine and the speaker of the song. Right, right. And, and hence ballads for men, right? Oh, yes. Um, and it's interesting to think about uh, as an Edgar Allan Poe st- style story because certain lines um, just come up. Like, uh, uh, and also just thinking about the story makes me think of the backstory. Right? Okay, there's this miner. He's a 1949 miner, which means he's a gold rush guy. Um, he's living in a, a cavern in a canyon, excavating for a mine. Right? Um, he's trying to get rich his daughter's there with him um there's this other guy who shows up maybe he's another minor 49er right and then um or maybe just a a local but i i don't think there was that many locals in 49 maybe i'm wrong in any case um he falls in love with the daughter daughters uh always off getting water in the mornings drove the ducklings to the water maybe the ducklings are their food what what have you um she falls into the water drowns he can't save her father kills himself and in the beautiful illustration which everybody should look at uh illustrated by somebody named gurney miller um we have the story being told i assume uh in a bar why are you drinking so hard buddy (laughs) answer Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Right. It's almost like this is a a recounting in the same way that Annabelle Lee is of how the events came to befall this pathetic person. I think Annabelle Lee is, for me at least, the the most apt Poe reference. I think it is apt in many ways. If we believe what the speaker of this ballad is saying um, it is nature that took her away from mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. Um, or it's even her own fault. Whereas in Annabelle Lee, it's the old elders, you know, people older than we uh, coveted uh, the love that we had at the end of Annabelle Lee. Once uh, she's dead for the moon, never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee and the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride in her sepulcher there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. My darling of of my darling, my darling, oh, Mm -hmm. my darling, oh, my darling. But look at the last line here in my dream. She still doth haunt me robed in garments soaked in brine. Though in life I used to hug her, now she's dead. I'll draw the line. That's the funny. The fun. It, it, it seems with this repetition of "darling, darling," this poem, this ballad, "Oh my darling Clementine," is a response to Annabelle. Lee. Yeah, it feels like that, right? 
It really does. But I'd like to I'd like to suggest, as you said, there's a backstory. Mm-hmm. I'm going to propose. I can't prove this at all. I'm going to propose a different backstory. Okay. Okay. Um, you know how sometimes people go, uh, men, bosses travel with their secretaries, mm-hmm. and sometimes older men travel with their nieces. I would like to propose that the father here isn't necessarily a father. Ah. And whether he is, or in which case I think there's an incestuous relationship, or not, um, in which case it's just a sexual relationship, this Clementine is being uh, made fun of by the speaker. Light she was, and like a fairy. And her shoes were number nine. I don't know much about women's sizes, so I just Googled to say, what are large sizes for women's shoes? And they start at nine. Right. right? That's a large size. And I kind of thought that because herring boxes without tops as sandals were for Clementine. Herring boxes, I mean, is this big enough to, to, fish, to ship fish in? Right. She's got big feet. She is not, in fact, light like a fairy. Right. Um, <laughs> It's the juxtaposition there. Exactly. She's not this. Now, her foot, right, every just night hit her foot against a splinter. Wait a minute. That means it's inside the herring box, right? She didn't hit a splinter with a bare foot. She's wearing her, her wooden sandals. I mean, those boxes are made out of wood. And she got a splinter from her own shoe and then fell into the water. Now, she fell into the water. She fell into the water, right? She mm-hmm. didn't swim out half a mile. She fell into the water. And this guy, this guy says, well, I was no swimmer, so I lost her. Really? Really? You, you, you're close enough so that you can see her red lips bubbling up out of the water. You could actually walk to the edge of the water and walk out and get her, but mm, you couldn't because you're not a swimmer. I don't know whether he killed her out of jealousy, (laughs) whether she really was stupid enough to drown in those herring boxes. Um, But then, what happens to the father? He just decides, he decides he ought to join his daughter? Oh my gosh. Maybe he didn't just decide to join his daughter. Maybe he was really angered that our speaker was competing for his daughter's affection, whether Mm. she's really his daughter or not. And in fact, he kills her. I mean, he kills him. That is, our speaker kills the father. You got a whole treasure of the Sierra Madre going here. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So in her dream, she still doth haunt me, robed in garments, soaked in brine. Though in life I used to hug her. Interesting, because we don't see anything here like romance and affection. In fact, she is the object of his ironic jibes. This is really a ballad for men in the days when a men's magazine objectified and trivialized women. And I had never seen this story as being like that because it had its jaunty humility. Mm -hmm. So you asked... Who is dreadful, sorry, Clementine? Um, you are lost and God forever. 
dreadful sorry, Clementine. Sorry about that, Clementine. Mm. <laughs> Didn't mean to kill you, but what can you do? <laughs> okay, that's a very dark reading of a very jaunty uh, up story. <laughs> well, Not really. Put it next to Annabelle Lee, and you get the same kind of contrast. Yeah, there is a there is a um, uh, a number of other things that make us suspect that the narrator is somewhat unreliable <laughs> because of his um his uh, description of her shoes right her shoe size I, I was thinking they're just so poor that she has to wear boxes for shoes right because um, that mine is not paying off um and yet she is valued right ruby lips um and then in the description of of her death where her body is somehow they recovered the body right in a mm-hmm. churchyard near the canyon i'm not even sure it's an actual churchyard i think it's just a gravesite, right where the myrtle doth entwine there grow roses and other posies fertilized by clementine again kind of morbid sort of com- comedic edgar Allan poe but roses are not posies right so this guy is not uh, not giving us a a very accurate picture but i I do know what human fertilizer is it's night soil well i was i was thinking that this is just like the grave is is well yes 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 of course of course so that's mildly ironic well it's not my it's 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 that's quite ironic that well we've certainly still got her because you know she's turn she's decomposing and enriching the soil in the same way that we have the ending of that famous ballad uh, Barbara Allen, where the two graves next to each other come up, they and the bodies fertilize the the, the vegetation that entwines over them. Mm. Um, you know, it's one of the most famous ballads, and it's it's meant seriously, not ironically. But here, saying, "Well, she fertilized them." It doesn't just say, "And they it grew up out of her grave." No, she fertilized them. Right. Okay. Right. You don't want to have to think of her as night soil. You just think of her as decomposing flesh. She's objectified again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's funny because we don't really get a, a good picture of of her at all. It is a ballad for men. Um, Which is exactly why I, I say it at this point, because I'm trying to to concur with your point that mm-hmm. this is an unreliable narrator. This is not the comment of a lover. Yeah, this is uh, the comment of a possessor. And uh, thinking about um, uh, Annabelle Lee, you, you were talking about what what killed her. What killed her and what killed our darling Clementine here? Um, uh, he blames our unreliable narrator in Annabelle Lee blames uh, blames it. The family took took her away, but she was dead by that point. He blamed the jealousy of the of the angels, right? Yes, the um, winged seraphs of heaven uh, who were jealous of her and me um, blew a chill out of the cloud, right? That killed her. And so it was, it was nothing he could do to stop it, right? The angel's jealousy of how pure our love was. <laughs> a very unreliable narrator. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, very interesting um, <laughs> comedic kitty version of, of, of Annabelle Lee. By the way, it is mo- my, uh, Annabelle Lee is my most popular uh, poem with very young kids. They just love it. In the same way, I think it's just like... Uh, uh, you and I, as youth, loved Oh My Darling Clementine, even though we can't articulate as to why we did. 
Right? It's just there's something going on in it. Maybe it's the repetition. Maybe it's the sounds. Maybe it's the uh, the uh, contrast between okay. all of these images. I did not see the end of Clementine as making a question about whether or not necrophilia is okay. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, so it in, is there. <laughs> so in life I used to hug her. Now she's dead. I'll draw the line. No, I'm saying as a child. I oh, didn't. yes, of course. I, I didn't at all. So I'd like to ask you, um, do your young students who – like Annabelle Lee a lot, do they get what it means? So all oh, I explain it to them. Don't worry, <laughs> but but they get it before you explain it is what I'm asking. No, no, they don't. No, okay, no. So again, the the music overtakes the meaning. It, yeah, and the music of the of the of of the rhythm of the words and the rhyme and the, oh, it's just beautiful. Um, and then we've got this extra extra thing going on. Um, <clears throat> when I sent this to you, I sent it, um, uh, and then I sent. Uh, a an ode i guess we would call it that i found in adventure i i was i, I guess they're both western stories right yeah um this uh what was it from 1919 was it, it? uh yes september 1919 to a frying pan i appreciate you sending it to me <laughs> um i it's it's a different meter it's a different uh level of um <laughs> Um, it's a different level of, uh, I don't know, deep affection for, a an objectified thing. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it also has this, um, connection to, you know, traveling, uh, to the West and death, right? Uh, it, yes. there is a line drawn in this one. Um, would you care to read this one for us? I, I really enjoy it. Sure. Thank you. Steel stanch comrade of my wanderings, strange magician alchemist that so couldst change, untempting viands to ambrosial fare, fit for the gods themselves, had they been there, better to me thy unpretentious eats than chef's most costly gastronomic feats, grimy and black, thou still to me art dear, nor sweeter music ever charmed my hear than my ear than thy resounding clangor when my pard with his knife handle smiting thee full hard beat the tattoo that summoned me to chuck in days auspicious or in hardest luck through desert sand and heat through mountain snows through all the memory of thy service glows be with me till i cross the great divide shall i not miss thee on the other side blessed comforter of my faint inner man thou Tried by fire, my faithful frying pan. <laughs> it's an ode to a frying pan. It uh, is. <laughs> well, that's and the what, Great Divide is you know, the, the Continental Divide. That's so what I thought. Yeah, it fits right in here, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why I saw that you know it was apt. But here, of course, as you said, it's about death as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it, so uh, when I die, I, I'm thinking of this beautiful frying pan. I'm writing about it. The author here is uh, Zoe A. Tillman. Um, as far as I know, no other poems, no other re uh, reprints of this. Um, and, and what's funny here is we've also got uh, sort of the narrator of um, my, Oh My Darling Clementine has bad grammar, um, low vocab, right? And unsophisticated, doesn't know the difference between flowers. 
here we've got somebody with a high vocab <laughs> um, who's bringing themselves low to talk about um, something very silly. Um, and yet, it's an object that we kind of appreciate. And uh, if you slow down and, and look at uh, each sentence, um, as I did in rereading it, um, it's actually, it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. It's, it's got all the poetic devices I like, but also has this, tr- there's a truth in it, right? Steel staunch comrade of my wanderings, strange. That's just an opening, great opening line, right? But strange also applies not to the wanderings, but to the magician, the strange magician, alchemist, that so couldst change untempting viands to ambrosial fare. Right. Uh, and that's true. You can make something that's totally disgusting, wonderful to eat, right? By cooking yeah. it. Uh, fit for the gods themselves had they been there. Better to me thy unpretentious eats than, and eats is in quotation marks, right? Than chef's most costly gastronomic feats. I'd rather eat something from you <laughs> than to go to a fancy restaurant. Grimy and black, thou still art to me, dear. Nor sweeter music ever charmed my ear than thy resounding clangor when my pard... And I, I, I was getting all sophisticated. See, the pard is a kind of beast from Europe that <laughs> has a beard. <laughs> no, it's partner. I just figured it out. It's a partner. Um, with his knife hang- handle smiting thee full hard. Uh, this high-level language... Um, is very biblical, right? The thous and the smitings. Um, beat the tattoo that summoned me to chuck. And around here, chuck means water. But then I realized, no, no, no. Chuck, like is in chuck wagon, a.k.a. to lunch. <laughs> it's yeah. so fun to, to work out what's going on here. In days auspicious or in hardest luck, through desert sand and heat, through mountain snows, through all the memory of thy service glows. Be with me till I cross the great divide. Again, double meaning there, right? Shall I not miss thee on the other side? Won't I be upset if you don't get to come to, with me to heaven? Blessed comforter of my faint inner man. What does that mean? Thou tried by fire, my faithful frying pan. Is almost like a, a lament for the the future loss of of their connection. <laughs> One of the things I like about uh, that poem, "Death Is in Both," and they're both Western poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's comedy in both, right? That's they're, they're different yeah, kinds of comedy, but they are indeed. Um, but there are some crucial differences, and to me, one of the great differences is that. The comedy here is not to drive down and make small the frying pan. No. But to elevate it. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's a statement about how wonderful the frying pan is. Oh, that's silly, of course. I mean, the frying pan has no uh, volition in what it does. But it's, it's such a stark contrast with the objectified Clementine. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, I will miss you forever, it's saying, well, since I can't hug you anymore, now you're dead. I'm done with you. Now she's dead. I'll draw the line. <laughs> there is something so much more appealing about the personality 
of the gentle humorist of to a frying pan mm -hmm. and there is about the the uh, almost nasty personality of the humorist of oh my darling clementine which is why i mean if he's nasty and he is objectifying women and the father mysteriously dies you know maybe it's not such a stretch to think hmm, well i pushed her over and she couldn't swim and i just watched the bubbles you know come out of her ruby lips which were above the water above the water it's not like she sank right out of sight um this is a very strange ballad especially when i have no idea how widespread it is now but everybody knew it when i was a mm -hmm. kid and 20 years later you apparently knew it when you were a kid my mm -hmm. guess is it was well known then i don't know if it's well known now but wow it's interesting, and, and it's not like it came out, uh, you know, uh, when you were young. It, it was, this is at least 100 years old, right? So. <clears throat> <laughs> well, <laughs> at least 100 years old isn't a whole lot older than I am. No, but um, I guess there, there are traditional. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think we know, I don't know that it was actually created near 1849 yeah i do yeah I, I know it goes back at least to the 1930s because my parents claim to have learned it when they were children mm -hmm. but i don't know if it goes back to the 1870s for example there's uh there's uh, you know people who took credit for it um this happens a lot so that sometimes we think uh, somebody wrote something. Well, they're just the first person to write it down in a book, and that book gets has their name on it. So there's a, somebody named Percy Montrose, 1884. Um, but we do have a hard stop for it, which is 1849, right? Minor yeah. 49er. Um, that whole um, trope of the minor 49er, you know, was still alive in the 1970s. You would see the ghost of a minor 49er in a Scooby-Doo episode, right? Or what, what have you. Um, that, uh, I think a lot of this is a legacy of, of an industry that's basically it's still around, it's just so minor compared to what it was when when you were young and even when I was young. Um, which was um, the printed music uh, industry, right? So. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the uh, copyright laws that uh, happened in the United States are over um, over the the printing of music, the publishing of music, and and uh, the the first big industry was in publishing sheet music. Um, people would, uh, you know, a lot of people took music lessons so that they would have entertainment at home at night <laughs> um, after dinner. And uh, women, especially, were pushed into this. My sister was pushed into it. I was pushed into it a little bit, but I, I, I was a male, so I got to be a little less pushed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you would, you know, entertain the family by singing these these songs. And I think that this one is, it's kind of that's probably where that those bones of of the legacy come from that you and I are both experiencing. But I, I can't imagine that kids are um, listening on their iPhones to, <laughs> oh, my darling Clementine. Um, but I'm sure there's some sort of uh, uh, YouTube community that has people singing songs like this. You know, things are always changing. They are, which is one of the reasons that here 
50, 60 years after I, more than, after I first learned the song, learned this, I find there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.